They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? Happy holidays to you. It is the one and only Brotherly Love Podcast right here on SoundCloud.com. Happy holidays, not happy sporting times in the city of brotherly love. Joe O'Donnell and John Meeta here with you. Johnny Meets, what's up? What's happening, Joe? Well, Ugh. I've been better, you? Uh, just. I, I don't think I've ever been that man leaving a football game. i got to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I was just vengeful. In the stands, I'm always pretty vocal. Uh, people are kind of looking at me and like, please, man, I hope this game ends so this guy can leave. <laughs> or we just hope this guy leaves on his own power. You know, and as I walk out, I'll tell you a funny story. As I'm walking out, well, it wasn't that funny. But getting down the escalator, you've obviously sat in our seats. And uh, as I'm walking out the door, two Redskins fans with Redskins jerseys on are chanting, let's go Sixers. Wow. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll have to respond to that. So they go, let's go Sixers, you know, and then they're clapping their hands. Yeah. And then I had to respond with, shut your mouth. Yeah. So, and then the uh, the security people looked around and were like, oh, God, is this about to go down right here? Yeah. But cool. uh, nothing, nothing happened. But, man, I was uh, on a scale of the 1 to 10 is fired up. I was like a 25, yeah. just ready to just. Stab somebody. It was terrible. Wow, well, it's understandable, man. It's understandable. This was this was probably the most disappointing season, uh, certainly in recent memory for me. And and here's what we got in store for you on the one and only Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud.com. Uh, apologize for the hiatus between shows, but uh, duty calls in the in the real world. Uh, but we wanted to get back at you, especially with Week 17 now upon us, and the Eagles officially eliminated from postseason contention after a dreadful. 38-24 loss to the Redskins, the freaking Redskins, who now are the NFC East champs. If you had told me that in August, I would have told you to put the crack pipe down. All right, here's what we got for you. We're going to hand out our donkey awards, uh, offense and defense, from the loss in Week 16 to the Deadskins. We'll uh, rant about this disappointing season and just get it off our chest. Hopefully each of us will feel a little bit better. And we'll talk about the biggest offseason need or change. We're not going to get too much into what's to come for the Eagles because we've got all freaking summer for that, the rest of the spring, uh, winter and spring, and then the summer to get into that uh, because it's going to be a long offseason. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Then we'll go four quarters, four NFL topics from around the National Football League that we'll dive into. Uh, we'll also have a quick take on the Phillies, Sixers, and Flyers, and then we'll spread the love and get on out of here. So without further ado, you ready to roll, Johnny Mita? Let's do it, buddy. All right. You can start. Have the honors, my friend. Your donkey award, the biggest donkey, the biggest jackass, the guy you'd probably punch in the mouth if you could on offense and defense from the loss of the Redskins would be which player? Offensively, my donkey has to go to a guy that I've always thought was a tremendous football player. But this year, you know, he's kind of been 
up and down. He's definitely on the tail end of his career. But it, the, the donkey for this has got to be Jason Peters. He left. Apparently, he left the game early because he w- he didn't want to risk getting injured. And now this is probably the fourth or fifth game that he has not finished. So he gets my donkey. Clearly, I think he's the guy. Remember how there was a report that an agent came out and said that one of the players says they refused to play hurt for Chip Kelly? I believe Jason Peters is that guy. How he made it to the Pro Bowl is mind-boggling because his play has totally declined. But to not be out there with your teammates, to just voluntarily take yourself out of a game knowing that you're not hurt, I mean, that's just that's just classless, man. And uh, you know what? If you're not going to be a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. See you later. Next year, Lane Johnson will be playing left tackle. We will find a new right tackle and move on from there. So Jason Peters gets my donkey offensive award this week. All right, defensively, yeah, all right, get right into it. All right, defensively, and this goes down to one of the biggest moves in the offseason, trading Shady McCoy for Mr. Kiko Alonzo. This guy hasn't made a play since week one. And what I've seen the last couple weeks when this guy's played more, he is constantly out of position. He's always getting beat in coverage, and he just never makes any plays. As linebackers, one of your jobs, especially when you're playing in the run, is to shed blocks and attack the ball and go after the running back. This guy, two weeks ago, he let John Brown, that's right, John Brown, the five foot nine, 170 pound wide receiver with cinder blocks in his pocket, block, block him out of a play. It was, it was just embarrassing. Like, that receiver tries to block you, you just chuck him the hell out of the way, and go make a play. Now, people might say, well, he could be still injured. I hope he's still injured. <laughs> I don't, honest to God, I don't know if his head's become an issue. And I'm not, like, trying to say that funny. Like, has the concussions kind of, like, you know what I mean, made him a little gun-shy, so to speak? He's not, like, that same physical, attacking, you know, instinctive football player that we saw when he played at Buffalo. So, Tico Alonso was just horrendous. I, I was all for benching him in the third quarter and putting Najee Good in there because the, the guy was just, he's been invisible the entire season except for week one when he made that sick one-handed interception in the land zone against the Atlanta Falcons. Other than that, the guy has been the invisible man. So, Tico Alonso gets my defensive donkey award. Well said, my friend. Hard, hard for me, honestly, to disagree with, with either of your takes. Offensively, I went with just a little bit of a different flavor. I put the whole offensive line as my donkeys, all right, because whether it was penalties, missed blocks, no run game, uh, no establishment of the run game, Sam Bradford threw the ball 56 freaking times. And I understand you were behind late, so maybe there are 10 throws in there, 12 throws in there that you might not have if your team was playing some better football or you're playing with a lead. But the fact remains the same thing. Uh, the fact remains the same. The Eagles ran the ball for about 50 yards on 
on Saturday night, and they need to probably double or triple that number to win this football game, take some pressure off of Sam. So for Sam Bradford to throw the ball 56 times, some of that again skewed, the rest of it falls on the shoulders of the offensive line. It wasn't just Jason Peters, dude. It was Matt Tobin getting beat. It was Lane Johnson taking penalties. It was the, the other clowns in there, Dennis Kelly, whoever the hell else they put in there. Those guys stunk, and they stunk for most of the year. They, stu- they stunk for most of the year, and honestly, they're the thing. They're the reason to blame. the 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 offensive line was not addressed in the off season. That's on Chip Kelly. That's on Ed Moranowitz or whatever the hell his name is. That's on all, all these guys that you know that Jeffrey Lurie entrusted to build this thing the right way. So the offensive line for me, between the penalties, the miss blocks, the fact that Bradford got drilled on a ball where. Zach freaking Ertz could not have been any more open, and probably it's an e- it's easy as seven points that Zach Ertz has scored in his life if that ball's on the money. But if Bradford has another half a second, he probably puts it on the money. So the offensive line as a whole, just a disaster on Saturday night. They were an Achilles heel of this team all season long. They are my collective donkey award on offense from Saturday night's loss to the Redskins. Defensively, well, you said it. Kiko Alonso, it's not even close. The guy finished with five tackles. I think all five of them my five-year-old could have made. He stinks, all right? Maybe he'll get better. Maybe the offseason will help. Or maybe this was one of the most disastrous trades in recent NFL history. Not only did you give up a second-round pick, but you got a linebacker who I I was drinking the Kool-Aid this summer. I read read you a quote, Johnny Meade, on one of our earlier editions of the Brotherly Love podcast. One of his teammates in training camp. Man, something's not right with him. He hits hard. He tries to hurt people. I was fired up. This guy stinks, all right? He stinks. He's got all offseason to figure it out, and if he doesn't, he should be gone after next season. It was embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. The play of Kiko Alonso, who, in my opinion, played too many damn snaps. We'll see on Sunday when they play the Giants if Billy Davis agrees. Because if you remember last year, Bradley Fletcher, Kerry Williams, getting exposed, getting exposed. He kept running them out there. And then the last game of the year, we saw their soon-to-be replacements in Nolan Carroll and Jalen Watkins and, and more of Boykin, although he eventually got, you know, sent to the Steelers. So we'll see on Sunday if Kiko Alonso's hurt, if he plays, if he plays just a few snaps, and there's more Najee Good and the rest of the linebacker rotation. That'll be telling for me exactly where the Eagles are because they've got another meaningless final regular season game coming up. A lot of it's on the defensive shoulders, and Kiko's a big part of that. It was so bad. I mean, just so bad to watch this guy. I mean, ah! I mean, I was... I wouldn't say when the trade happened, like, I was like, man, we definitely got the better of that deal, or it was like an even, but I thought that he would definitely be a playmaker on this defense, and linebacking play for years has kind of plagued this team, so to speak, and just all year. I mean, look at the linebackers. Once Jordan Hicks went out, the linebacking core just fell to pieces. Yeah. And you thought it was... You know, you thought it was one of the defensive strengths of this team. But, ugh. All right, tra- anyway. transition for me right into your rant on the 6-9 and nine Philadelphia Eagles. A losing season guaranteed and a, and a non-playoff appearance guaranteed. Overall, before, you know, I, obviously we'll digest it in the coming weeks as well, but right now, <laughs> what bothers you the most? Just the lack of effort. Just like, there's no consistency with this football team. They go out, they play a good game, and then they play three crappy games. It's just they look good at times, but look terrible. It's the penalties. It's the 
it's lack of discipline. It's just and some of the attitudes of some of the players just make me sick. Just and their play on the field. It's it's everything. I just wanted to end. Like if anything good came out of that, is that if they would have won that game and then we lost to the Giants. I mean, uh, I mean, what would you feel like then? I mean, I just I'm kind of glad that 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 this is over because. This year was so painful to digest, knowing you're going into the year with, with you know, high expectations. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. What's your take? I hear you, man. I, you're exactly right. I, and look, I, I'm i going to be, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm excited to watch Sunday's football game because I, I just love watching football. But I, I hear you 100%. It, it's, it's sickening. Um, this is a group of players and coaches that didn't get it done. Bottom freaking line, as you said, not consistent enough, not even close to being consistent enough. And at the end of the day, you are what you are. I read a lot of quotes after the game from players, from Jason Kelsey, who's had a big mouth this year uh, about looking in the mirror and being better. And he's not pointing fingers. But a lot of it is, you know, when you're doing that stuff in week one and two and you say you're going to clean it up and it's week 16 and you haven't, at some point you are what you are, right? They steal the Dennis Green line. We are what they thought they were. You know, we are what they... I, yeah. It's just at some point you just got to give up as a fan and say I you know I was wrong about this team or you were wrong about this. I, at the end of the day we were wrong for buying into this garbage. You know I put myself out there one more time Saturday night thinking they could get it done. You know they're still close at halftime. They get that touchdown from Demarco to pull back within six or whatever it was. They get a stop. They have all the momentum and then that pitch in the rain. That gets fumbled and D'Angelo Hall picks it out. I mean, what an embarrassment. All right. What an embarrassment. Uh, it's just, you know, I would sum up this season with the following terms missed opportunities. That includes drops, poor tackling, penalties, turnovers, missed kicks. You know, <laughs> missed opportunities to me is the theme of this season. That's all it is. There's talent, positions, they play well at times, they won a couple of big games. When their backs were the wall, they rallied and won two or three in a row at times to, to build some momentum and give us that false sense of hope. But at the end of the day, there were too many glaring holes that were not addressed. They didn't make enough adjustments to address them. And part of me still wonders if this football team's being coached properly. Chip Kelly's got to change his ways, okay? One out of three, meaning playoff seasons, isn't good enough in the NFL. All right, so what worked in college clearly isn't working now in the National Football League over the long term. It might work for a quarter. It might work for a half. It might work for a game or two. But at the end of the day, I think this football team has enough talent to be better than at best 7-9. and nine. But that's at best right now. And, you know, we go back to the offseason. I don't know if you remember, but as they were making these moves, I was like, man, maybe they're not trying to win it all this year. And then they had that preseason where they were beating the doors off of people. And I'm like, Super Bowl, here we come, yeah. I I feel dumb. I'm mad at myself for buying into the preseason hype. This team made so many moves, so many questionable moves, and a lot of them backfired. And that is on one man, and his name is Chip Kelly. It uh, It starts in free agency. It continues in the draft. They've got to get better in a ton of areas for this to be a 10-6 and six or better football team and a legitimate con- uh, contender in the National Football Conference. And really, it stinks. This is the year where, you know, I'm not scared of anybody in the NFC. If, if, if the Eagles were a contender, I'd be like, they got a great shot. Arizona, you know, the Eagles played them. That's the best team. 
and I think the Panthers are second best. And outside of that, I don't think anybody's even close. I don't think the Green Bay Packers are a shell. You know, they're, I don't want to say a shell of what they were. They don't scare me. The Minnesota Vikings wouldn't scare me. Seattle's playing better football, but then they just lost last week. I mean, you know, there's nobody outside of Arizona that I think has a complete football team. Yeah, I, um, yeah, they're definitely the best. I mean, them in Carolina, I agree. Carolina has no skill on the outside, though, dude. Don't sell me on on Ted Ginn Jr. Don't sell me on that nonsense. At some point, you got to throw the football outside, and when Kelvin Benjamin went down the preseason, they don't have squat. Yeah, that's true. It could hurt them late. You're right. All right. right. You're right. You're right. All right. Let's let's move along, my friend. Let's move along. Let's let's get into topic number three. The biggest need or offseason change for the Eagles is what? Chip Kelly, the coach, now basically 17-week football season ends. Then there's that dreaded Monday morning once the season ends. Yeah. Where all the all Clean the out your lockers. Coaches, exactly. When the pink slip problems. Well, this is what needs to happen, okay? Chip Kelly, the coach, needs to fire Chip Kelly, the general manager. And they need to bring in a senior football voice to handle some of these personnel decisions. A guy like Bill Poland to come in and revamp. And I'm not saying being, you know, he needs to be able to communicate with Chip and kind of find out what he's looking for in certain types of players. But clearly Chip as the GM has not worked for this football team. There are so many areas that need to be addressed this offseason. So I think it starts with stripping him of the power. And if he doesn't want to be stripped of the power, Maybe we need to move in another direction as far as coaching. Because, like, what you said is the guy at some point needs to change, like, and change his ways. There's stuff that he continues to do, and it just doesn't work. So he needs to be, you know, have a little more, be a little more adaptable. And that's, he's shown that he can't do that. So for me, the biggest offseason move is, offseason move is strip the power from him as far as making the GM decisions and try to get a senior, you know, football voice in there to handle this offseason and the draft and, and move forward to take this football team, you know, back to a playoff caliber level. I think that what you just said right there is kind of, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go with just a position group. You know, I've been all over the wide receivers this year. You can't change that yeah, overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, but to me, that's that's a need. The offensive line's a need. I think they need another dynamic pass rusher. Uh, maybe got to get younger in some positions. All that stuff's good. You know, all that stuff is is needed this offseason. But what you just said about stripping Chip Kelly of his GM power makes me think of one man, and that man is Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie, when this season ends, needs to step up to the podium like he probably normally does, address the media, and I want to hear from him that this is unacceptable. This is his team. Okay, we hear about he wants to win. He's committed to win. Okay, he spent money at times. I get it. All right, well, the Eagles aren't bottom of the league in spending. I'm not going to chirp Jeffrey Lurie for that, but I want Jeffrey Lurie to do whatever it takes this time around. Whatever it takes, whether that's hire a football guy, whether that's bring in a new coaching staff, whether that's make whatever you know a, a resources available for this team to get better. That's what I want to hear from the guy that at the end of the day is cutting the checks and is in 100% control. It's Jeffrey Lurie's show, okay? He has the power to make this football team better to at least some degree. 
I get it. He doesn't go out and play. I get it. Chip Kelly doesn't go out and throw passes. I get it. But at the end of the day, if there's a guy in Philadelphia that can stand up and say, this is unacceptable, and send a message, or change the culture, or make this football team better by using any of those aforementioned statements, it's Jeffrey freaking Laurie. So it's on him when the season ends to tell the Philadelphia fan base and all the talking heads that it ain't good enough and it's going to get better. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. Amen, brother. All right, my man. Let's take a quick time out here on the Brotherly yeah. Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Follow us at Love Podcast. We're back after this. Talk a little hot topics in the National Football League and a whole lot more. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast, exclusively on SoundCloud.com. All right, we're back. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. The one and only. Thanks to all the support throughout the year. Too bad the birds couldn't step up, make the podcast more fun down the line. Joe Donald, John Meade here with you. Johnny Meats, Johnny Meats. Let's go four quarters. Uh, kind of a, a different look. We'll we'll stick with some more national topics involving the National Football League. First up in four quarters, uh, Patriots. The hoodie, the hoodie. Bill Belichick deciding to kick the ball to start OT against the Jets, and they never got it back, and they never had a prayer as the Jets go down and win the game. The long-term ramifications of this and your thoughts on Bill Belichick trying to outsmart everybody. Well, I mean, long-term ramifications. I think, you know, the Patriots are mature football teams. They're going to put that one right back in the rearview mirror. The fact is, it was crazy. Like, the whole thing was, you know, I'm watching the Red Zone Channel, they're like, you know, Scott Hansen gets all crazy. They'll never guess what happened in the coin <laughs> I'm like, you know, he gets all crazy. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And then they show the coin toss. And listen, you got to go back to the days of, what was it, the first coin toss blunder when it was... Uh, the Lions, I think. It, yeah, Thanksgiving Day, Lions versus Pittsburgh. And Marty Brittingway, yeah, our boy Marty, yeah. old Marty, decide to uh, defer. And when it comes down to overtime, listen, if you want your defense out there, always take the ball. Always take them all. I don't care about wind direction and all that. That's all garbage nonsense. Take the ball. And if Tom Brady comes down, they hit a field goal. Now you put your defense on the field. They got to get a stop. For you to just kick. And the Jets, listen, the Patriots defense was pretty banged up. Their two safeties weren't starting. Patrick Chung and Ben McCourty were not playing. So, and they were kind of getting torched by Brandon Marshall. It just, I don't know. It was, I don't know if he didn't have, I mean, how do you not have faith in Brady to just come down there, do the fact that they force overtime, come down there and go win the football game for it? I don't that know. Just, I, I just want to know if he talked, did, did he talk it over with anybody else? You know, I mean, yeah, Matthew, Matthew yeah. Slater seemed confused out there, right? He's a special yeah. teams guy. He's out there. Yeah. He said, he like he he he's like a a robot, like a mutant. He just repeated whatever Belichick told him, and then when the ref was like, "Okay, you guys are kicking," he was like, "Wait, what? Huh? Like how dumb is he?" Yeah. 
Like, coach said, if we win, kick. Okay. Then he goes out there, and, like, once the ref goes, all right, you guys want to kick, then he's like, wait, what are we doing? I mean, did Belichick run this by Brady? Did he go talk to Gronk? Did he talk to, uh, you know, Matt Patricia, the guy with the pencil in his ear, his his homeless defensive coordinator that hadn't shaved since 1963? Did he talk to uh, – who was the guy that used to coach – the little short guy with the complex that couldn't uh, couldn't coach anybody in Denver. McDaniel's right. Did he go talk to yeah. him and say, "Hey, yeah. is this the play?" I mean, I just don't get it. What did he have money on the Jets? I mean, I just don't understand what the rationale was, other than him thinking this is what Bill Belichick does. I'm better than everybody else. Because you know, if they if they get the stop and win it on a field goal, he's a genius. Oh, Bill knew. Oh, Bill. Hey, Bill, I have a job there. He's just so smart, that that Belichick, the hoodie man. He's our guy. Him and Tommy. Like, just shut up, all right? The guy has now, in a couple of weeks, made some boneheaded decisions. That onside kick against the Eagles, uncalled for. Yeah. Eagles win the game. Gave him some life. Yeah. Now you cost your team one against the Jets in overtime. They don't finish with home field advantage. Those are two things. Look, going through Foxborough or going somewhere else is a big, big difference for that football team. Yeah, no question about it. All right, second quarter, my friend, second quarter now. The Panthers' unbeaten run ends. If I may start, my friend, you know how much nah. joy I talk in your boy Scam yeah. Newton not being able to nah, dab yeah. on the sidelines afterwards. I don't even know what the hell the nah. dab is, all right? It's embarrassing. This team's taking photos on the sidelines for social media before games end. I'm glad they got beat. And you know what? I hope they get their doors blown off in a playoff game as well because they're cocky and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I don't think that they're the best team in football, and I hope it gets proven in January when Scam Newton collapses. Well, yeah. Well, Scam Newton's going to win the MVP, right? Are we in agreement there? Yeah, that's right. You were right. You nailed it 10 10 weeks ago. That's fine. You're boy. All right, now listen. Yeah, I mean, this game brought them down to earth. And, you know, to take a – it's very humbling for them to lose a game. And I think it's better that they got it out of the system now and then they can refocus. Yes, they've had some injuries. You know, the runners are starting running back, got injured, that kind of hurt them. You're right. They don't have the weapons on the outside. That could be their Achilles heel moving forward if they play like a team like Arizona. But how about also – I know we're talking the Panthers here. How about the arrogance, which we didn't touch on, of Bruce Arians two weeks ago. He went to beat the Eagles so bad, he left the Honey Badger in the game, and then he gets an interception and then tears his ACL he's done for the year. Talk about coaching arrogance. Yeah, I know. At that point, they were up a couple scores. I mean, why do you need your starting starting safeties out there, starting corners? Yeah, he just wanted to rub it in. But – Carolina, I, I don't know. I think it's – I would have liked to have seen another 16-0 just so that, you know, the Patriots are not the only team that have done that in a couple of years. And I, I think if you look at what this team has done, considering they don't have weapons on the outside, they have mediocre wide receivers at best, it's uh, pretty impressive the way they played all year. So we'll see what happens. I don't know who to root for at this point. I don't know who you're going to root for. Just be a fan, I guess. I don't know. I'll be rooting for whatever fantasy league I'm in, playoff wise. Yeah. Looking for straight All cash, right. homie. All right, let's yeah. go to uh to the third <laughs> quarter. Speaking of dabbing, big red. Yeah. Big red. Uh-huh. Fat Andy Reed 
who I yeah. had fired in week eight uh, when his team started one and six or one and five, whatever they were. I thought he was toast in a week or so. Now they've won nine in a row, and the Chiefs are going to be dancing. What'd you make of it? I think you got to give him incredible. It's an incredible coaching job, and it's an incredible job by the players to just. Here's a team that got off to one of the most rocky starts out of any team in the NFL, and they just put it all together. And you got to give them credit, too, is the fact that they lost their best skills position player yep. on offense in week one. Jamal Charles going down, and they have found ways to get it done week in and week out. And you see our old boy, man, Jeremy Macklin, just yep. keep making plays, man. It's talking about, you know, throwing aside. I mean, you're happy for the guy because Macklin was always a class act when he was a Philadelphia Eagle. And, but it just, again, and that's, you know, Chip, once he turns on the television screen, he needs to realize that talent kind of trumps culture as far as, you know, you need playmakers. You can't have three mediocre or four mediocre wide receivers and just hoping that these guys can, can just fill in. Hey, and two of no, them, you, honestly, two of them are rookies. Josh Huff's still a rookie. The guy hardly played last year. He didn't contribute last year. Yeah. You know? So uh, between Aguilar and him, that's basically two rookies. Then you bring in a, a, a guy with no legs left in Miles Austin, and you've got, uh, you know, yeah. Sir, whatever, a, a Jared Tutu, whatever the hell his first name is. And then, you got, and then you got the worst wide receiver in the NFL since Kevin Walter left the Houston Texans and Riley Cooper. Maybe the worst white football player in the entire NFL to begin with. Are you kidding me? I would take Kevin Walter over Riley Cooper. You know why I pick on Kevin Walter? Because when I was down in Houston at the time, uh, uh, my good buddy Barry Warner used to be like, oh, he's the best blocker. Oh, he blocks. Coobs loves him because he blocks. And I used to be like, who gives a damn if he blocks? When was the last time he made a play? They had Andre Johnson and then nobody. And Kevin Walter yeah. and Jacoby Jones and all these plugs down there. And they weren't winning squat. And, uh, you know, so I used to get all over the Texans fans and the media there that were like, Kevin Walter, Kevin Walter, give me a break. That'd be like somebody tell me that Riley Cooper's important to this football team, okay? I don't yeah. care anymore. I don't care anymore. He stinks. He drops the ball. He's terrible. He's a crybaby, and he's a racist, as we found out as well. Yeah. All right. I digress yeah. from Riley Cooper. That was not the point of the conversation. Oh, my take on the big, the the big red lead Chiefs. Hey, bottom line is this: they're hot at the right time. They've got a great defense, a quarterback that manages the game. That big term manages the game. Doesn't turn it yeah. over a lot. He can use his legs to get first downs, and they have talent at skill positions. No Jamal Charles, yes, maybe a lack of a solid running game, uh, you know, hurts them down the line. But Macklin can make plays. They got a great tight end there, and Kelsey that can find the end zone. I mean, yeah, look, they they have an opportunity, I think, to to shock some teams now. If they win the division, I think the division's still up for grabs for them, if I'm not mistaken. If they could win it the is. division and have home, you know, some home field advantage at Arrowhead, that would certainly help them a lot. But props to to Big Red, who, you know, I didn't know if he could coach in this league again um, after leaving the Eagles so unceremoniously, but uh, he's got them going in the right direction. All yeah, right, and uh, they, have a great, they have a great rookie corner who has kind of probably been the steal of the draft, Marcus Peters, the kid out of Washington. Who again had a questionable background, had some problems off the field in Washington, and he comes in and now he leads the league in interceptions as a rookie. So 
Probably corner that the Eagles could have drafted, but uh, yeah, we don't want to do that. Anyway, go ahead. Fourth Sorry. quarter, fourth quarter. The Jets, the Steelers, yep. Uh, yep. The, the Chiefs, obviously. I mean, there are some teams by, uh, vying for that final AFC wild card spot. Who do you like? I like the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. The Steelers. Did I mention the Steelers? They're alive. Yeah. Well, they got to beat Cleveland, but if the Jets beat the Bills, it's, it's done. So... I really like the Jets beating their old team. Uh, Tom Bowles has got that defense playing on another level. Buffalo lost to Sean McCoy. He's definitely not going to play this week. I, I just think the Jets and Ryan Fitzpatrick, the old the old gunslinger from Harvard, he's played well recently, and uh, I, I like the Jets to take that spot for sure. Well, hey, they're in the driver's seat, right, especially coming off a big win over the Patriots. Hard to disagree with you on any of that. Uh, if they don't get in, I'll say this, if the Jets fail to get in, boy, are they going to look back at that loss to the Eagles in week three and go, what the hell were we doing? Because you had an 0-2 Eagles football team in New York, right? Yep. And and they didn't didn't put it together. Jets have won five in a row. Again, another team to keep your eye on if you're looking for that sleeper, that wild card pick to, uh, to cause some havoc. All right, let's jump to the other sports teams in the lovely... City of Philadelphia. How's the weather, by the way? Still in the 60s? Uh, it's actually, now it's freezing cold. Yeah. It's like in the 30s, and now it's rained all day. So Brutal. Here. Brutal. Brutal. Uh, by the way, this yeah. is our first ever daytime podcast at the time of recording. We should at least note that for our fans. We should exactly. do this more often. We could probably get more guests if, we, if we're not asking them to jump on at like 10 p.m. <laughs> um, all right, let's go. Quick takes on the Flyers, Sixers, and Phillies. Uh, I'm going to kick things off, and I'm going to start with your one, two, three, four, five, six, seventy sixers, two yeah. and thirty-one, oh. baby. Second win of the year, boy. What a win that was! I don't even. Yeah. I think they beat the Suns. Um, I'm going to jump off the off the court uh, with this whole Jaleel Okafor situation. I know he's missed a couple games now with an injury, but uh, I don't know if we ever talked about Johnny Me the suspension they handed him. Yeah, we did. We did touch on it yeah. last podcast. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, he he's the guy that this team needs to build around now, right? I mean, I, I, Nerlens is having oh, a yeah. down year from what I read. Okafor, every, all indications, he's the real deal. But at yeah. some point, this losing culture, you know, I know they're going to bring in Mike D'Antoni to help out the coaching staff. This losing culture is, is just going to eat away at some of these guys. And I, I think we talked about this last year, too. At some point. I get the whole tank thing, but at some point, can you just be relatively competitive so it's not so embarrassing as a fan base? I mean, I'm, I'm actually taking pride in the fact that they're so bad, like laughing about it with other, like, just casual sports fans. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, honestly, you know, Okafor's off, off court issues. Now he's out a couple games of the knee injury. Nerlens isn't playing, you know, to the level he was last year. The players are saying they're okay with veteran guys being brought in to help. They're bringing in, like, associate kind of helper coaches to be the eyes and ears for Jerry Colangelo. I mean, sometimes I don't know if this organization knows the direction it's supposed to be going other than lose a lot and keep stockpiling draft picks. But at some point, this embarrassment that is the Sixers has got to end. It's got to end. And the NBA can't do squat about I don't care what Adam Silver says to commissioner. He can't do anything. I mean, they're not, they're not breaking any rules. They just stink, and they're doing it largely uh, on an intentional basis. Yeah, I mean, well, they made a couple moves to kind of right the ship. I mean, it's a big writing of the ship. But, you know, bringing in Joey Colangelo, the Suns' old owner slash general manager, head of USA Basketball, 
I think that was kind of pressed upon the owners of the other teams in the National Basketball Association, kind of got on Adam Silver about, listen, this team is hurting everyone here. Everyone's pocket. So, him bringing him in. They also brought in the great, the revamp, Ish Smith, the revival. Ish Smith, they made a trade for a point guard who's actually played pretty well since he's been back, had an opportunity to win the game last night. So, to have a veteran point guard, somebody that can distribute the basketball to some of the front court players, which is necessary. He can score a little bit, but you're right. This is another tank season. We just pray to God that we get, what is it, Ben Simmons or Sam? I don't know what his name is. Ben Simmons from LSU. That's the plan. Yeah, that kid, is, hope, he's sick. Dude, he's sick, man. And if they can find a way to reel him in, and then you find yourself, I think you're, I mean, because that kid can play every single position. He could be like a Kevin Durant type. Obviously, shooting's not on that level yet, but he is, uh, he's an unbelievable talent. And if we could bring him to the city, along with some of the other stockpiled assets that we've had for so many years, uh, this team will move in a better direction. Let me ask sure. you something, Johnny Mina. Do you ever question your sanity or why you're wasting your time watching the Sixers on a nightly basis? Or do you well, just really, love, or do you just love basketball so much? I mean, I do love basketball so much. I don't really watch them on a nightly basis. I mean, if they're on the television, like for example, last night I was flipping back and forth from the football game to a little Sixers action in Utah. But it's not like they're must see TV. Yeah. Yeah. I know what's going on. I know that they're going to be tanked for a couple of years. And you know, people can be pissed off about it. And they can. I know you're spending your hard-earned money to go see this team. But this is the only way to get better. And I don't care what anyone else says. It is the only way. People that tell you that it's not the only way, I'm telling them they're dead wrong. And they're dead wrong is because with the way the salary cap is structured in this league, if you got to get rid of garbage, you got to take garbage in return. There's just no easy way out of some of these guaranteed players' contracts. And the teams that have done well, that have been powerhouses, the teams that have drafted well and hit on lottery picks. The, the Sixers haven't hit on a lottery pick since Allen Iverson. That was the best lottery pick. I mean, you could say Andre Iguodala, but he's more of like a third-tier type player. Yep. But I don't know. All right, good stuff, brother. That's good right. stuff. I'm going to jump to the All Philadelphia right. Phillies, my friend. Uh, Get in there. I don't think we've been on since the Ken Giles trade, so I need to express my displeasure with that move. The Phillies were bad enough already. All right. I don't want to see a complete 76ers type rebuild for my fight in Phils. Look, the Astros traded everyone they had for prospects for so many years. It took them like five years to get good. All right. And, that, and now they're just finally reaping the benefits of all that. I can't stomach that for 162 games year after year after year. This near 100 loss season where they finished with 99 this year, that was bad enough for me, okay? My my give-a-crap factor was so low this year. Probably watched the fewest Phillies games I'd ever watched last season in like the last decade or 15 years. I, I can't deal with that anymore, all right? And to me, Ken Giles, you know, Ken Giles had some moxie, all right? His slider, his mental makeup, the heater, obviously, they, those things told me this guy was legit. There's a big difference for me between a one- to two-year closer and a 200-save guy for his career. And that's the sense I get. People are like, oh, you can find a closer anywhere. Closer's growing. Yeah, but I don't want a one- to two-year closer. I don't want a bullpen guy that you slide back there for 60 games and you go to the playoffs. I want a guy like a Mariano Rivera. 
all right, or Lidge in his prime, or some of these guys that close year after year after year. And I and I know the game's changing. Look, the Reds just traded a role tra- a Chapman who throws 103 miles an hour, and he's been their closer a couple years. But, but I just feel like Giles was a guy you could have built around, and, and maybe three years from now when this team is, like, legit, he's still there and still good enough. That's my take. So I don't know what the hell they got in return. I know the first overall pick, Mark, uh, Appel from a couple years ago hasn't really panned out, you know, as they dealt with the Astros there uh, to, to ship Giles down to Houston. But some of these prospects, they're just stockpiling. And I, I can't endure a Sixers tank-like job with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I really felt like Giles had staying power as a closer. So it just pissed me off to see him make that move. He was the one young, well, one of the young players that you had, and you just question what you get in return. Because here's the deal. You get all these prospects and trades, and you're like, okay, will they ever pan out? We don't know. They have the potential to pan out, but you just it's that unknowing. But Giles, you know, 100 Miles Giles, you knew what you had. You had a nice, young, up-and-coming closer that, like you said, could be your Trevor Hoffman, could be your... You know, Mariano Rivera. So, and is this just another sign of what, what you kind of inferred is the fact that, okay, we're not going to be competitive for a couple years. So if we're only going to win 60, 70 games in a season, why would we need a closer? So I'm with you. Not the greatest. What they've done in the off season so far, I mean, they're not really turning heads. So uh, let's just hope that, uh, Mr. Quintac has a uh, nice plan in place, and uh, we, we and and you just hope that these young players develop. But we'll see what happens. But it's not looking good, man. Ultimately, sports, man, nothing's looking good on the horizon for the next couple. Years. Well, maybe the one, one, maybe the one bright spot. Hang on, the Philadelphia oh, Flyers are two games over five hundred. All right, there we almost go. halfway through the season, points in seven of ten. All right, Dave Haxtall's got him playing in the right direction, playing the right way. What do you think? What do you think, Johnny Mita? Is this are we are we carrying a cup down? Brought? Oh no, that's not happening. That's not happening. But hey, look, I, I thought this would be a uh, you know five hundred slightly better team. Look, they they just don't have the horses on the back end um, to get it done on a nightly basis. I haven't again. I I'll be honest. I haven't watched a ton of Flyers hockey this year. I've just been kind of scoreboard watching, following along, reading some articles. But it seems like Dave Haxtall so far has these guys buying in. 37 points through 35 games. Will that kind of clip get them a playoff spot at the end of the year? Probably not, but they'll be close. And if if nothing else, at least a competitive hockey team, a fun hockey team to watch, one the city can be proud of, will at least hopefully through the spring uh, bring Philly sports fans something to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see that that they've kind of re-energized. They got off to their natural flyer slow start. But I love watching the rookie defenses. The ghost, man. I just love watching that kid play hockey. And just to see that we finally have a defenseman that can carry the puck up and down the ice, can be a major factor on the power play again. The guy is so smooth on skates. It's incredible. And some of the game winners he hits this year. So it's nice to know that finally, I think you've found yourself one stud defense. So that, that's been good to see, his development. And you hope some of the other younger defensemen get up here quicker and you build like two to three solid defensive pairings. Yeah. Because in this league, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what you're going to need. I mean, because it's so 
you know, there's so much offensive talent in this league. You need guys that can be able to get it done on both ends. Times have gone by the yesteryear where you need that goon defenseman or that. And I'm not saying you don't need a physical defenseman. No, but you, you sure can't have here. a guy that just clears the front of the net and doesn't skate. Right. Exactly right. Which is That's why exactly I was right. still absolutely stunned that the, the now Arizona Coyotes would trade for Nicholas Grossman. The Flyers are probably like, <laughs> we'll, we'll take a case of pucks because he can't skate anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, exactly. let's uh, let's let's go to spread the love, my friend. I don't have any romantic music prepared. Um, I nah, can... we don't need it. We don't need Spread the love, buddy. We don't need it. I am spreading the love to Don Shula, the former Dolphins Hall of Fame nice. coach, because prior Shula. to the game on Sunday, where the Carolina Panthers were taking the field, now I, I'm just learning this now as I'm getting more information about the story. Mike Shula is the Panthers' offensive coordinator. That's Don's kid. So, yeah. you know, the, the 72 Dolphins typically celebrate when the last undefeated team loses. Uh, yeah. So Mike Shula said that, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't celebrating. Uh, all indications yeah. are he wasn't celebrating like maybe some of his teammates were. However, before the game, Don Shula tweeted out hashtag Carolina Panthers, and he and about a dozen family members were dabbing the old dance move the Panthers have been using. I took it as... Suck it, Carolina. Don Shula's, you know, he's in your head. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily the case after now doing more research on it, but I'm going to spread the love to Don Shula anyway for at least having some personality and uh, having some fun with this whole undefeated, unbeaten 72 Dolphins thing. Uh, and every year, you know, he and his teammates allegedly pop some champagne when the final undefeated uh, finally suffers a loss. I got a great Quick, I'll do a quick Don Shula story. I'm down with my brother-in-law. We're down at Indian Creek, this club that basically Don Shula, he lives on, has a house on the island, Rick Pitino, some others. And I'm at the team box on number one. And right behind me, Shula's Don Shula, Don Shula, Bob Greasy, and like six other guys. And they want us to tee off in front of them because there's only three of us or four of us playing. They got like a big group. Next thing you know, I get up there with my driver. I shank one about 300 feet up in the air, goes nowhere. And it was so embarrassing to look back and to see Shula there with Bob Greasy. I just pick up my phone and I'm like, yeah, I'll just drop up here. Ah, so that's my embarrassing <laughs> moment with Shula. So uh, that was pretty That was pretty funny. But my spread to love goes to an NFL player who at times in college I couldn't stand because he was so freaking good. And the only college football game I attended uh, before I attended Notre Dame Temple this year was <clears throat> was Michigan-Penn State. And this football player, this guy has been a tremendous football player his entire career. And I'm going to spread the love to Charles Woodson. Here's a guy that has played in the NFL 18 years. He's made the transition from he played a lot of corner to start his career, and then he became a safety. And he is the only player in NFL history to have 50 interceptions and 20 sacks. He's a nine-time Pro Bowler. He won a Super Bowl championship with the Green Bay Packers. A total class act on and off the football field. Uh, one that finished his career in Oakland. Thought that was pretty classy. And uh, the guy was just tremendous. So, big props to him. Hopefully, he's probably Hall of Fame down. I don't want him to get in before Brian Dawkins gets in. Let's not, let's not go that far. But... Uh, yeah, man, spread the love to Charles Woodson for his entire career and just being a great pro. So that's why I spread the love. 
Well done, brother. I like that. Hey, hey you, the, the reaction on social media to his career essentially coming to an end uh, said it all. You know, I mean, there was nothing but love for a guy that's put a ton into the game. And the transition, as you mentioned, you know, between secondary positions, that ain't easy. And um, nah. it's impressive. All right, buddy. All right, my well, man. Let's get on out of here. You got Do you even care to give a prediction about Eagles Giants or screw it? <laughs> no prediction here, does. All right, brother. All right. Zed is dead, baby. Zed is dead. Appreciate From the, the great su- movie Pulp Fiction. Pre- appreciate the support on SoundCloud.com. All the peeps out there, follow us on Twitter at Belove Podcast at Belove Podcast. Uh, we'll be back probably in a week, two weeks, whatever. We'll. We'll uh, bury the Eagles season officially, maybe have some news about Billy Davis getting fired or something. Uh, and then yeah. hopefully by then the Sixers have as many wins as the Eagles. Um, exactly. And maybe the Flyers are in a better playoff spot. We can only hope, Johnny Mita. We can only hope, man. Hope that's, you know, Obama's campaign. We'll have We're going to have to. We'll have the boss take us out. Little Bruce Springsteen here. It's the Brother of the Love podcast. Right. Johnny Mita, great job, buddy. You too, pal. All right, until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.